I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, Solomon writes, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. In the verses which came before our passage today, we saw that Solomon warns us in regards to walking on the path of the wicked. He contrasts that in our passage today by discussing the path of the godly. One of the themes that we find throughout the Bible is the analogy of God to light. No book emphasizes this theme more clearly than the gospel narrative written by the Apostle John. In fact, in the first nine verses of the book, we find five references to light. We read, in him, that is, in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then John continues, writing, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He's referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about out the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Later on in his narrative, John tells us about a time when a man named Nicodemus came to see and speak with Jesus. When did Nicodemus come? At night. As Jesus tells Nicodemus about his purposes, Jesus says, The light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That's from John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. John also records Jesus as having said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You know, anyone who's ever been inside of an underground cave might have a pretty good understanding of the importance of light. In the Sierra Nevada mountains uh, are several deep underground caves which offer tours. When I was younger and living in southern Nevada, I used to go camping and fishing in the Sierra Nevada mountains pretty regularly, and occasionally I'd go on these tours through the caves. About halfway through the tour, the guide suddenly brings everyone to a halt, and all of a sudden, they turn the lights out. It's complete and utter darkness. There's absolutely no light to speak of by which you can even see your hand in front of your face. And it's very dangerous to even try to take one step in such conditions because you have no idea what you're stepping onto or off of. And this is the difference between the path of the righteous, which remains lit by the Spirit of God who directs our steps, and the path of the wicked, which is represented by utter darkness. Solomon follows this example by reiterating his urging to his son, pay attention, listen up. The problem is that the old saying is true. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Likewise, parents can teach wisdom to their children, but there's no guarantee that their child will use that wisdom. But Solomon ends this passage with a great reason for anyone to put his words to use. He says that his words are life to those who find them and health to their bodies. Anytime you buy a car, the dealer is going to make sure that you understand that your car will need regular vehicle maintenance. The result of that kind of upkeep on the car will be that the car will last longer. And the same is true in our lives as well. Putting God's word and his wisdom into action in our lives and heeding its advice 
will, for the most part, result in a healthier, more enjoyable life and a longer life. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27, Solomon writes, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. If you've ever cooked anything in your life, you know what it's like when you start putting it all together in your mind. In order to correctly do that, however, you have to know what ingredients are required for whatever it is that you're cooking. Having already taken a look at the path of the wicked, Solomon is now in the middle of discussing the path of the godly. And as he does this, he's telling us what some of the key ingredients are in a righteous and godly life. The first ingredient is a guarded heart. We should know that without a heart, there's no life. And looking back a few verses, we should note that Solomon instructed us to keep his words in the midst of our heart. Thus, by guarding our hearts, we're guarding the treasure chest that holds wisdom that's beyond value. You see, in the Bible, the heart is a symbol of our hidden and inner life, and it's the source and the cause of all of our actions and behaviors. So with that in mind, we know that if the heart isn't right, the life isn't right either. Scripture clearly teaches us that apart from the saving grace of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, our hearts are filthy. That's why the prophet Jeremiah wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But we have a role in being careful to watch over our hearts as well. That's why David, having repented of his sin with Bathsheba, prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's also why the Apostle Paul urged his readers to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects the heart, and thus the breastplate of righteousness assures us that our actions will glorify God. Solomon is giving us the same piece of advice. The next ingredient in a righteous life is a clean tongue. Our mouths can get us into all kinds of trouble. Lying, cursing, gossiping, all these sins come from the tongue. James chapter 3 verse 8 tells us that no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. The tongue and the heart are closely connected, and Jesus understood that as well. And that explains why he told us that, quote, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You see, the heart that's overflowing with evil will be evident in the way that a person speaks, and the heart that's pure and clean will result in a cautious mouth. The third ingredient in a righteous life is a disciplined eye. Solomon wrote, Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. And that reminds me of a time when I was young and my parents took me deep sea fishing. We didn't catch much of anything. I got really seasick. And so the captain of the ship let me take the controls of the boat for a while. And I quickly found out that when you're out in the middle of the ocean, you can't tell if you're going straight or if you're going in circles. The captain caught on to my confusion quickly, and he told me to fix my eyes on a point on the land in the distance. And as I did that, I steered the boat straight. But what do you think happened every time I took my eyes off of that target? The boat went astray. Similarly, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, as he leads us on the path of righteousness, we end up going to the left or to the right, or worse, 
we end up backsliding. And finally, Solomon tells us that the wise person watches and plans their steps carefully. A planned walk results in a perfected walk, which is characterized by the fact that it's a protected walk. Solomon tells us to turn our feet from evil. You see, there are some doorways we should never darken with even the outermost parts of our shadow. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, our shadow won't even come close to the doorway of the wicked. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Solomon writes, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. For anyone who's been listening to our Proverbs lessons, you've probably heard the beginning half of this passage before, and probably a time before that, and even a time before that. Yeah, Solomon is starting to sound a bit like a broken record here, as he continues to urge his son repeatedly to listen to his words. It's possible, however, that he's quoting the words that David spoke to him as well. Either way, whether it's David being quoted as he spoke to Solomon, or if it's Solomon speaking to his own son, these are obviously words that were ignored. Solomon ended our previous chapter by discussing the path of the godly and righteous, and contrasted it with the path of the wicked. And it's appropriate that the next piece of advice pertains to the seduction of the flesh. If our eyes aren't watching every step we take and staying on Jesus, but wander off to the sides, we're extremely vulnerable to the possibility of our ears or our eyes causing us to stumble. You see, it's a short trip and stumble from the path of righteousness to the path of the fallen and wicked. Solomon says that the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Of course, honey is one of those things in Scripture that symbolizes elegance and blessing. Being sweet and full of healthy nutrients, it's a delicacy in the Bible. The Promised Land, for example, is a place of continual blessing, which is described throughout the Old Testament as a land flowing with milk and honey. So with this understanding of how someone in Solomon's day would have valued honey, it's clear that what Solomon is saying is that the adulteress who tries to entice someone to stray from the path of the righteous says all the right things and makes him or herself seem like a heavenly delight. Solomon also tells us that her speech is smoother than oil. Oil in the Bible represents joy. So we see that the promises of blessing and personal happiness are used to entice someone off the path of the righteous. Despite the promises of blessing and personal happiness, however, the true payoff is quite the opposite. Solomon tells us that unlike the sweetness of honey, the adulterous woman turns out to be bitter, more bitter than wormwood, and rather than having speech that's smoother than oil, her words turn out to be sharp as a two-edged sword. 
Appearances are indeed deceiving. That honey and oil are bait, and underneath the surface lies a barbed hook that's designed to drag you away. Of course, these are things that Solomon would have known better than almost anyone. In spite of his wisdom, Solomon was continually chasing after the pleasures of the flesh. Solomon's palace was characterized by the presence of his many wives and concubines. Having grown up in this type of environment, it's no surprise that his son, Rehoboam, fell into the same pitfalls. It would thus be no surprise that Rehoboam didn't pay any attention when his father warned him about the dangers of adulterous women. The lesson here is twofold. First of all, wisdom dictates that we examine opportunities prayerfully and carefully to make sure that they're not the bait of the enemy. Secondly, if you're talking the talk, you've got to walk the walk. Whether that's as a parent or just as a Christian who wants to be light in this dark world, our actions always speak louder than words. I'm Toby Logson, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 5-7, through 7, Solomon writes, Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways are unstable, she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. As we noted in our previous lesson, Solomon is warning his own son about the one thing that's more likely than anything else to cause a person to stray from the path of righteousness, pleasures of the flesh. More specifically, Solomon is warning of the adulterous woman whose words are sweet on the surface but bitter underneath the surface. He continues describing the path of such a person which should be contrasted with the path of the righteous. At the end of chapter 4, Solomon made note of the role that the mouth and the feet play on the path of the righteous. Having discussed the mouth of the adulterous woman, Solomon now discusses the role that her feet play in her walk. He says that her feet go down to death, and that her feet take hold of Sheol. In other words, she's leading you away from life, and her feet grace the burning coals of hell's floor. While Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26 instructed the righteous to ponder the path of our feet, the adulterous woman is characterized as being free-spirited, and Solomon tells us that she doesn't ponder the path of life. Why not? Because her path leads to death, and she wants to take you with her. Chapter 4 verse 26 also said that if you ponder the path of your feet, your ways will be established. But the temptress here is described as having ways that are unstable. Not only that, but she doesn't even realize it. See, those who want to tempt you to stray from the path of righteousness have absolutely no concern whatsoever with consequences. That's because thinking about and dealing with consequences means that the party's over, and they're no longer free to act however they wish. Solomon ends this passage by once again urging his sons to listen. We've seen a lot of repetition as Solomon has continually urged his son to listen. And anytime there's this much repetition in a given passage of the Bible, you can be sure that whatever is repeated is extremely important. Fleeing from sexual sin is indeed extremely important, which is why sexual sin is the only type of sin, it is the only type of sin that the believer is urged to literally run away from. 
Paul told the church in Corinth, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Let's say that you're training to detonate bombs, and your instructor tells you that if you're in the middle of deactivating a bomb and it starts beeping faster and faster, to hightail it out of there. So as you're working on deactivating a bomb in your training and it suddenly starts beeping the way your instructor described, don't you think you'd take his advice and run away, get out of there as quickly as possible? That's the advice that Paul was giving to the Corinthians for times that they're confronted with opportunities for sexual immorality. And that's the advice that Solomon was trying to drive home with his own son as well. I'd say that that qualifies as some very sound advice. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.